You're listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah is close towards the middle of your Bible. Psalms are kind of in the middle. A few short books afterwards, Isaiah begins a series of the prophets in your Bible, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, the major prophets. And then after that, we have the final 12 books of the Old Testament, the minor prophets all together make kind of one book. We're turning to Isaiah. And as you do that, I'll explain a little bit more in a moment. But first, I want to just personally take a moment to say thank you. Thank you to Redeemer Church, to this congregation, to all of you. For, for us, the last several months have been quite difficult with two hospital visits and hospital stays for our newborn And we're so thankful for your support and encouragement. The meals, the texts, the calls, the hugs, um, it's meant so much to us, and we are deeply grateful to Redeemer Church. We're taking a detour, as you may recall. Often I'm preaching through the Psalms when I have opportunity to preach in the morning, and we're going to take a small detour from that for the next, I don't know, four, six, eight times I have to preach. I'm calling this Words of Comfort. Words of comfort for the season, looking at various places in Scripture where we find deep comforts. And today we're looking at what is the first of four so-called servant songs in the prophecy of Isaiah. These are familiar words to many, and I hope today they're words that are cherished by all of us. So we will be looking at Isaiah 42, 3, but we're going to read verses 1 through 4 so we can have a proper context. So... Hear now the word of the Lord from Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. He will break forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. As we've just turned the corner into 2024, the year of our Lord, I believe, maybe I'm off, but I believe that Redeemer Church is in a heavy season. The last few months for many have been filled with, again, at least in my view, a significant increase in suffering and difficulty for many members of our church. And I think it's been reverberating outward through our entire body. Unexpected medical diagnoses and events lingering and fresh grief, relational strife, depression, loneliness, financial hardship, sin and its devastating consequences. There are many in our church family who are going through a lot. And maybe I'm particularly sensitive because I have the privilege of walking with many of you through many of these hardships that you go through and what a joy that is. Maybe I'm particularly sensitive because, as I said earlier, this season has been quite difficult for our family. 
I do believe, though, it is a season the Lord has brought us as a congregation into, and he is bringing us through for his glory and for our good. And so we come to Isaiah 42 today because, as Richard Sibbs says in his great book, The Bruised Reed, which I highly recommend, he says, none are fitter for comfort than those that think themselves furthest off. And I know many that think themselves the furthest off from comfort, but according to this passage, you are close to the comfort of God. You are fit for it because Christ is near to the brokenhearted. So we're diving into a book that we haven't been in in a long time. I don't know that we've preached on Isaiah very often since I've been here the last five years or so. So a brief kind of background, who is Isaiah? He is a prophet that's ministering to the divided kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, after the the kingdom had divided in the late 8th century and the early 7th century BC. So hundreds of years before Christ, he was a prophet to God's people. And during the course of his ministry, the northern kingdom was conquered and was taken into captivity by Assyria, 722 BC. And this was because, as Isaiah prophesied, due to their sin and their rejection of God. And Isaiah had warned them, and this came to pass. So then we have the southern kingdom of Judah. Judah was not a whole lot better off than the northern kingdom. It had a slightly better track record of a few kings who were actually honoring to God. Isaiah prophesied its own exile by the Neo-Babylonian Empire, which indeed, after Isaiah's ministry concluded in 605, that began, concluding in 586 BC with the destruction of Jerusalem, the annihilation of those people. So Isaiah is broken up, really chapters 1 through 39 is talking about these prophecies of exile, of the enemies coming and exercising conquest over God's people. He's prophesying, warning them, if you continue in your sin, neglecting the God of the covenant, this will be your end. And for 39 chapters, he's declaring that of Israel. But then chapter 40, things change. There's an entirely different character in the writing and even the style. It begins in chapter 40, verse 1, comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. God is speaking to a people who he was telling you were going to be in exile. And these are words that they would take with them into exile in Babylon. And they would use these words as hope for the future. That their their exile was not the end of the story. But God spoke words from chapter 40 to 66 of comfort and hope for Israel. Even though they were enslaved in a foreign land, God came to them with hope. And these words of comfort continue all through the end of the book. And that's why Isaiah and many have called, going back to the early church, the fifth gospel. Because it so clearly sets forth the hope of the gospel and it paints for us an incredible picture of ultimately Jesus Christ. How restoration comes not simply in returning to the promised land, but restoration comes when Christ comes and accomplishes his work for his people. And I think Christ may be most, be most clearly seen, explicitly seen in these four servant songs about him in this latter part of Isaiah. The needy and suffering only have hope in the salvation of a gentle servant, Jesus Christ. The needy and the suffering only have hope in the salvation of a gentle servant, Jesus Christ. 
Before we go into verse three, particularly, I want to take a, a, a few moments to, to lay a little bit of groundwork of what's going on in these few verses. So maybe presuppositions, even as we get to verse three. And one of those questions is, who is the he? The he of, of verse three, a bruise read, he will not break. It goes back to verse two, he will not cry aloud. Before that, it refers to my servant, whom I, God, upholds. Who is the he? And there's various interpretations of who this might be. But this is answered definitively for us in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew tells of Jesus engaging in ministry among the people. And at some point, he decides to withdraw and go privately to rest for communion with his father. But the people continue to follow him. And the sick continue to come to him. And it says he heals all the sick that came to him. And as Matthew says this in chapter 12, verse 17, this was to, fill, to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Then Isaiah quotes, or then Matthew quotes Isaiah 42, verses one through four. These very verses are quoted by Matthew in saying, in Jesus's own ministry, he's fulfilling this. Jesus is the servant of God of which he speaks. Jesus is the one who will not break the bruised reed. But before we get there, getting a little bit ahead of myself, what is this goal of this servant in these four verses? What is going on? The theme that is most reverberating through these four verses is the theme of justice. Verses one, three, and four. There's justice to the nations in verse one. Justice on earth in verse four. He's bringing justice. And we think of justice typically in a legal sense. Justice in the sense of, of right judging. And that's right. But the Hebrew idea concept here is bigger than that. It's not simply a legal category. This is an idea that speaks to a right ordering of relationships, of families, of communities, of nations, rightly ordering all of the relationships and how we walk, work with one another, how we talk to one another, all of this in a way that uplifts and encourages. So justice here is a rightly ordered society, something that no government can simply do. This is something that this servant brings. Remember, this is spoken to people who are in exile or would be in exile and later are in exile. These are great, this is a great hope for them that, that justice will come, that restoration will come, that they will be given back to their land that God had promised them. This is a rescue. This is a promise of rescue and how Jesus has come to rescue us, not simply from worldly exile, but from spiritual exile. So there's justice and rescue. That is what Christ is coming to do. And we can't deny two realities here that, that bubble up to the surface and that this servant is both sovereign and gentle. He's sovereign and gentle. This servant comes to accomplish a task. He comes to do it. He doesn't come to try to do it. He doesn't say, my servant's going to try the best he can to bring justice. He's coming to bring justice. He is sovereign. He is powerful. He is able to do it. like a king. It's royal imagery. He's a servant. He's not coming like a traditional king garbed in glory and robes of splendor. Verse two, he's not loud and boisterous calling attention to himself. He's not seeking attention and fame. There's, he's there to serve the low and the downcast, not to be served by the rich and powerful. So this is Christ. And this is Christ, and so this is how we can come to verse 3 and see the first point. Jesus Christ is the comfort for sufferers. 
Jesus Christ is the comfort for sufferers. And there are two images that pervade this verse. And the first is the bruised reed he will not break. A bruised reed he will not break. I, in my mind, imagine a single stalk of wheat but it's been broken, maybe by a child coming by, maybe from an animal, maybe from, a, from a, an automobile passing by. It's broken. It's barely hanging on. It's, it's bending, and, and, and the top is dragging upon the ground and the wind. How easy it is. Just ever so slightly tug on the stalk, and it breaks completely off. The stalk is so close to being lost forever. And this is the image that Isaiah is pressing upon us, inviting us into this imagery. See, he can make statements of God will comfort you. Okay, yes, we can take that. It's a wonderful thing. But he describes it in beautiful imagery and poetry to help us not just understand it, but to experience it in a way inviting us into this imagery of this bruised reed. Have you ever felt like that? Do you feel like that today? Beat down, bruised, broken in two, but barely hanging on, and maybe afraid that one more strong breeze blowing through might finally break you completely. It's, is, it is precisely in this circumstance that God's promise comes and provides hope. And he provides this very precious promise. Jesus Christ will not break you. You will not be broken in the midst of this. And he turns to, quickly to the second image. And that's this faintly burning wick. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. I, in my mind, imagine a, a, a room with a desk in the middle and, and an oil lamp there providing light to the entire room. But as the wick burns off, the light becomes dimmer and dimmer as it goes down to the point where there is no flame. What remains in this wick is a few red glowing pieces of ember. It can be snuffed out with a pinch, with a simple breath or maybe just 30 more seconds of sitting there smoldering and it will be extinguished and quenched. But instead, the, the wick is turned up and it reignites back to full flame and the light is back in the room because the wick has been extended. And this is an essentially a, a parallel of the first image. These two images are set side by side, describing essentially the same thing, but in two very vivid pictures for us. Someone who is out of energy. Someone who feels like there is no life remaining in them. Someone who cannot continue on in the current state of affairs. They are on the brink of being extinguished. As the promise is that you will not be quenched. No matter how difficult your situation is, the greatest truth and your truest hope will never falter. Christ continues to hold you and will preserve you until the very We'll tie this together in a few minutes, but there's a coda, as it were, in this verse. It doesn't simply present these two images for us. Because on one hand, we can kind of think, okay, these are negative images, things he will not do. 
I think the, the, the poetic imagery is to show us the opposite is true. He will take that bruised reed and he will build it up. He will bind it up. He will put a stake in the ground and tie it to it to keep it strong and stable. He will reinvigorate the flame of that lamp. I think poetically we can see that that's what's going on here. The positive is implied, but we get to the last phrase of verse three and explicitly it said for us, he will faithfully bring forth justice. Jesus Christ is not simply holding back the worst, but he's promising to give us the absolute best. He's giving us exactly what we need And this we can take great hope in, even in the midst of those moments of feeling like the bruised reed, because we can know he is at work in you. He has not abandoned you. He is actually actively present, even in the lowest of low moments, even in the hardest of days. He will not let you break. He will not snuff you out. Instead, he will bring forth justice and righteousness and holiness in you. It's not painless but it is priceless. It's not something easy to go through, but it's something that makes in us such gloriousness. It's in these moments of being low, of being that bruised reed, of being the faintly burning wick that we experience the gentleness of Jesus Christ. It's only when we're laid low that we see him in his compassionate heart for us. We know his care in those moments for us most immediately. And I think without these moments, our faith can tend to become cold and detached. And I think, frankly, sometimes more of a hubris than a humble trust. So he's bringing forth justice, and sometimes he brings forth justice by bringing us through these seasons of being a bruised reed, of being a faintly burning wick. But all this together shows us the tender, loving, gentle care of Christ. And this is where his sovereignty is so important. It's not that our life is out of control and he's doing his best to put the pieces together and and get the best result that he can, can maybe muster. But he has the absolute ability as the sovereign to carry out his task of gently refining and purifying us. One commentator, Oswald, says this, the point is plain. God's answer to the oppressors of the world is not more oppression, nor is his answer to arrogance more arrogance. Instead, rather, in quietness, humility, and simplicity, he will take all of the evil into himself and return only grace. That is power. That is power. It is the gentle servant, Jesus Christ, who turns evil into good, who strengthens us and binds us up. And what we need to do is look at our own situations and see the tender mercy of Jesus Christ even in that situation. He is not the enemy. He is not working against you. He will not tear you down or harm you. He is sustaining you and giving you life. Sometimes you hear it said, God, God won't give you more than you can handle. Does he? Does he give you more than you can handle? I think he absolutely does. If we could handle it, we wouldn't need him. He gives us more than we can, than we can handle so that we fall at the foot of the cross 
so that we grow in our dependence upon him in order that we would be refined through his gentle care for us. So does God give you more than you can handle? Absolutely, because you can't do it. Stop thinking you can. Stop pretending that you are a little sovereign and turn in humility to God. How does this work in daily life? Because at least sometimes in my life, the demands of the moment, the exhaustion, the tiredness kind of seems to pervade and overcome and I can't do anything other than simply make it through. But in these moments of absolute need, of being exhausted, this is an invitation. God invites you. He says, cry out to me. My grace in my son is sufficient for you. Your salvation, my promises, your future are not crumbling. For I am with you. This beautiful poetic imagery is designed to arrest you to stop you in your tracks in that moment to say, yes, Lord, I am a bruised reed. I cannot heal myself. I need your grace. May it stop you in your tracks, redirect you to the gentle servant that you so desperately need. So this passage is true for you. You are a bruised reed. You are a faintly burning wick. It is true for you, but Jesus is greater. But this is also an example for you. How do we look at others? How do we look at others, maybe even those who harm us? Do we look at other people as a problem to be fixed? Do we look at other people as a nuisance? Sometimes we look at people as people who just need to pull it all together and grow up and deal with their own issues and quit bothering me. That's not how Christ looks at you. That's not how Christ comes to you in your moment of being a bruised reed and a faintly burning wick. He comes with compassion and care and Christ's example is an example for us. You see Christ's kindness to you. What would it look like for you to show that to others? For you to to care for others in their moment of deepest darkness. Because I know not everyone here today feels like a bruised reed in the moment. But I guarantee you, people in your life do. There is somebody you are very close to who is a faintly burning wick. What a balm it would be if you would be an agent of Christ's mercy toward the weak, the wounded, and the suffering. Jesus Christ is the comfort for sufferers. But our second point is that Jesus Christ is the comfort for sinners. We're heightening the intensity, as it were. Isaiah 42.3 is a picture of suffering, yes, but the whole reason that Judah and Israel were suffering was because of their sin. They were experiencing divine punishment covenantally for their rejection of God. And it was designed for them to humble themselves before God, for them to see their sin, to see that they have rejected their king and to call them back to him. And so as we look at the deeper level of Psalm 42, 3, in its truest and its highest sense, a bruised reed and a faintly burning wick is one who is crushed under the weight of sin and has no hope in himself for deliverance. In other words, it speaks of one who is humbled by his sin and inability. 
And this is where the promise shines through so brightly, most brightly in this moment to this person humbled. The weight of your sin will not crush you. And when you cry out to Christ in faith, he will bind you up. And the other servant songs show us that precisely it is at this place where the servant steps in for us. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. With his wounds, we are healed. He has taken your sin upon his shoulders. And so your sin is no longer something for you to bear. For it's been born and it's been paid for on the cross of Calvary by Jesus Christ. And so we're called to humbly approach God because of our sin. We are called to come to him with humility, understanding I have no ability to handle my own sin. I can do nothing. I cannot atone for it. I can only be condemned by it. And this is exactly what Jesus teaches in the Beatitudes as well, that we read earlier from Matthew chapter five, where Jesus pronounces this, this benediction, this blessing, these blessed words. Who, who is he blessing? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? Those who are spiritually bankrupt. Those who know they have no hope. Those who are not pretending to be rich when they are in fact poor. These are blessed, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. What is that? This isn't simply mourning for, for worldly grief. This is mourning for the depth of my sin. Oh, how it grieves me, how I hate it, how I want to run from it, but I'm ensnared by it. But Jesus says those who mourn for their sin, they shall be comforted. Why? By his wounds, you are healed. Your transgressions were on him. Your sin has been atoned for. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why would someone hunger and thirst for righteousness? It is because they know they are at their wit's end. They cannot find righteousness on their own. They are bankrupt and need someone else's righteousness. And Christ promises they shall be satisfied. Satisfied with the righteousness of Christ given to them, knowing they stand righteous before the judge of heaven and earth. This is a picture. The Beatitudes are a picture. Isaiah 42 is a picture of someone who has no hope and turns to Christ alone for rescue. That person who receives the benediction that he will not be broken. He will not be quenched. Because Christ is a great and glorious Savior. And so implicitly, we have a call to Christ. Come to Jesus. He is one who is gentle and lowly in heart as he calls himself. And he will not turn any away who comes to him as a bruised reed and a faintly burning wick. Anyone who comes humbly before him saying, I have nothing, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling you will know eternal life. 
But if you are not availing yourself of these promises by humbling yourself and trusting in Christ, these promises are not yours. You cannot take this promise home and put it in your pocket and find comfort in it. It's only comfort for those who have nothing and come to Christ alone. So in light of this, the the deeper truth, the deeper reality at play here, our spiritual bankruptcy apart from Christ, we know that if Christ forgives our sins, a sin that is infinitely weighty, you can step back up to kind of that first level. How much more will he watch over your life? How much more will he care for you day by day if you know that eternally you are secure? No life this side of Christ's return is easy. No life is. We all have our ups and downs. We all have our seasons of exceptional hardship. We all have seasons where we feel like the faintly burning wick. And it is precisely here where we must come back to God's promises with these, remembering these two things. All of your sins are forgiven and you are eternally secure. And second, Christ is working justice and restoration in your life. Eternally, you are secure, and God is at work in your life in this moment, in this day. And that's how we can come to this verse and not be thrown off by the reality of death. Some would say, well, life ends in death, and so how can we say God will not, will, will not break us or, or quench us because we will end in, in physical death? But that's where we must understand the deeper meaning here, because we are eternally secure. Death itself does not Remove the love of Christ from us because Christ has conquered it and we're awaiting his glorious return where death forever will be vanquished. And so, yes, we experience the death of the body that does not eradicate God's promises, but indeed his promises override and strengthen us through that and allow us to see the eternal realities beyond the grave. The justice of Christ is stronger than death. We're going to sing a song in here in a few moments called I Asked the Lord. It's a, a beautiful hymn written by John Newton. You know John Newton, who, former slave trader, author of Amazing Grace. And this is probably the most, the, the hymn I most quote in pastoral situations. So I'm going to give everybody my pastoral counseling this morning. Because this Him has ministered to me so deeply because it's reverberating these same truths of Isaiah 42. I come back to it over and over and over. I want to walk us through this. It's it's seven verses long. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want us, as we sing it in a few moments, to be able to sing it from the heart, understanding the thrust, understanding how God is working even as we sing this. Begins, I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. Is this something you've ever prayed for? God, help me grow. Well, we've already prayed for you today in that way. So this prayer has happened for you. The prayer for you to grow. What a great prayer. What a wonderful prayer. And verse two says, "'Tis he who taught me thus to pray. He's taught me to pray for growth. And he says, he I trust has answered prayer, but it has been in such a way that almost drove me to despair. Verse three, I hoped that in some favored hour, at once he'd answer my request. I I hoped that he would answer my prayer by, boom, you know, taking my sanctification meter up 10%. How great would that be? Just overnight, you know, you wake up, wow, I'm more sanctified than I was yesterday. But that's not how God works. 
He hoped that by love's constraining power, he would subdue my sins and give me rest. I think that's what we often are praying for. God, make me more holy. He doesn't do it like that. He uses means. He uses things in our lives. And this, he begins in verse 4 to explain how this growth and holiness happened. Instead of this, instead of the instant sanctification model, instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. So instead of instant sanctification, he felt despair. He thought hell itself was was fighting against him, assaulting his soul in every part. He saw the hidden evils of his heart bubbling to the surface. He saw, indeed, how bankrupt he was. He came to Psalm 42, 3 and said, I am a bruised reed and a faintly burning wick. I have nothing to offer. Look at the evil of my heart. Verse 5, he goes on, Yea, more with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. Crossed all the fair designs, designs I schemed humbled my heart and laid me low. So not only did he allow the angry powers of hell to assault me, but it seems that even he turned his own hand against me to make my my woe increase, to make it harder, to make my life even more difficult. It seems like God is making life more difficult for me. Why would he do this? I'm trying my fair designs, those things that that I think are good and glorifying to God. He's crossed all of those designs. Doesn't allow any of them to come to pass. He humbles my heart and laid me low. He's brought me back to being a bruised reed, to being a faintly burning wick. Okay, I misled you. I'm going to read all the the whole thing. (laughs) Lord, why is this I trembling cried? Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? That's the voice of the, the, the bruised reed. Why are you allowing me to go through this? Are you pursuing your worm to death? Are you just trying to kill me? Why do you allow this? We have the answer. Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answered prayer for grace and faith. Verse seven concludes, these inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou may seek I all in me. He does this. He employs these trials to show us our pride, to show us the hidden evils of our hearts so that we would, all of our schemes of earthly joy, all of our hopes we're placing in our situation, in our circumstance, in the people around us, in my abilities and my achievements, we're going to be crushed with all of those hopes. So there's only one hope that will remain. Only one comfort that I have in life and in death, and that is that I would seek my all in God. That's why the Lord brings us through these trials to eradicate the hidden evils of our hearts, that we would seek my all in him. And he promises that he will deliver. He promises that he does give Redemption. He promises that he does give everlasting life, but he's using whatever you're going through in your life this day, this moment, this hour, whatever is on your mind that you cannot get out. He's using that to 
show you the greatness of his grace so that you would take one hand off the world and bring both hands to cling to the cross. God's words of comfort will only comfort us if we seek our all in Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners, the servant of the Lord, who will never break the bruised reed, who will never quench the faintly burning wick. In Christ, there's great hope today. No matter what's happening in your life, there is a great hope in front of you, a great joy that is yours. But it's only if you are in Christ. So I pray that you all, everyone today, would look to him as a bruised reed, as a faintly burning wick. He would humble you, that you would look to Christ and be saved. Let us look to him in prayer. Our gracious Father, we admit that we before you are bruised reeds and faintly burning wicks. We thank you that you will not break us or you will not quench us. Indeed, you are working justice. You have given us your son. You have given us everlasting life that even though we persevere in this world, you are at work to, to remove from our hearts the evil that remains, to sanctify us to allow us to enjoy your greatness more and more every day. And so we pray that you would do these things, that we would take comfort in your word, looking to Jesus Christ alone, and that you would be pleased to make us more like Christ, that we would love our neighbors as ourselves, that we would be a balm of the gospel in this world that is full of bruised reeds who do not know it. May your gospel go forth and reach them. May you humble them. And may we be faithful to your name. In the blessed name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.